Isaiah 41, verse 8. Why don't you stand, please? Would you stand? This, this, this passage is so good. You're just going to eat this up. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you off. If you've not memorized this next verse, you need to memorize this. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing and shall perish. You shall seek those who contend with you, but you shall not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. Fear not, you worm, Jacob. You men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord. Your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. Behold, I make, a th- make of you a threshing sledge, new and sharp and having teeth. You shall thresh the mountains and crush them. You shall make the hills like chaff. You shall winnow them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the tempest shall scatter them, and you shall rejoice in the Lord, and the Holy One of Israel you shall glory. Father, thank you for your word. What an encouraging word. Father, I pray that you would give us faith to believe and to embrace all that you are, all all of your glory, and all that you are for us. God, we are humbled and in awe that you would think of us in this way. Praise you, Jesus. It's in your name. Amen. You can be seated. First of all, why is it such a big deal in the Scriptures that God's people not be afraid? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, right in this passage that we just read, three times I think it said, fear not, fear not, fear not. And you can tell he's adamant about it. God is as adamant that his people not fear. He says, I'm the one who, don't you fear, I'm the one who helps you. It's not just in Isaiah, it's all through the Bible. When you open up into your New Testament, you're going to see over and over again, Jesus telling you, do not be anxious about anything. Him saying, do not be worried, do not be in trepidation, do not fear, don't be afraid. And so again, the constant theme throughout the Bible, one of the constant themes throughout the Bible, is that we not be afraid as God's people. Now, why, why is it that God commands us not to be afraid? I don't think you would probably do that in most instances. Let's say you've got a little one, and uh, midnight, they come crying into your room, had a bad dream, you know, Daddy, I'm, I'm scared, yo, I'm afraid, I'm afraid of the road, you know. How many of you take them and say, get back in there, don't be afraid, you know, put it in the bed, you know. You probably, you probably don't do that. You probably are a little more maybe compassionate, or you just allow them to be afraid. You just, well, it's, it's part of life, you, it's okay for you to be afraid. But what God is telling us in the scriptures is, is that it is not okay for us to be a fearful, worried, stressed, trepidatious people. That, that is not okay. Now, why is that not okay? Okay, now here's the reason. Are you ready? 
Because in the equation of why, you're, why you are afraid or aren't afraid, okay, everybody's got one of those equations. So you got this threat, this dangerous thing, this hurtful thing that might happen or has happened and you're afraid of it. Okay, but in that equation of what makes you afraid or not afraid, you must plug in God's character, God's word, God's promises. God's relation to you must be factored in. All right? And, and, and when it's factored in, then basically whether you're afraid or not afraid is going to say something about what you think of God. Does that make sense? So, so whether you're afraid to take the step of faith, to take a, a step of courage in the direction that God's calling, whether you do that or don't do that is going to say something about what do you think of God? What do you think of God's character? And I think we can understand that. That would be true in lots of different instances, right? Let's say that... Um, him and I are walking down a dark alley. We're walking down a dark alley and we're walking hand in hand. We've just had a date night. And out comes this six foot five, 300 pound hulk of a man, muscled all up, and he threatens my wife. Okay? Now, if my wife simply laughs, ha ha ha, you know, and says, go get him, honey. All right? <laughs> what does that say? What does that say? That says, she thinks very highly of me, right? She honors me. What that, what that says is, is that she believes that if she's with me, I'm her protector. She's got nothing to worry about, all right? And it might also say I'm going to die. That, that might say that as well. But I'm just telling you, what does it say about Em and I's relationship? Now, change, change the, the scenario a little bit. We're walking down the alley hand in hand, you know, having, I just had a date night. And out, out drags from behind the trash can a 110-pound man, all right? Just a very small, frail man. He's skeleton thin, you know? He's got one arm bandaged up in a cast. He's dragging one leg behind him. And he says in this raspy, asthmatic voice, you know, he threatens my wife. You know, kind of a, hey, I'm going to get, you know, that kind of a thing, all right? Now, now, if my wife, you know, begins to panic and be afraid, it's like, honey, it's okay, I got this, I can do, I can do this, and she's like, I don't think so, you know, and just falls apart. What is that? It says something about me, right? I'm insulted, right? I'm, honey, you know, come on, I, I can handle this guy. It's okay. Whether you're fearful or not has to do with your faith. In the New Testament, as we open up our New Testament and we see Jesus talking about fear, almost every place he talks about fear, he also talks about faith. So in, in Matthew chapter 6, when he's talking about not being anxious, okay? Not being worried, not being the, the person that sits at home and stews about, what if this happens, what if that happens, I, I don't know at all. You know, I can't sleep at night, okay? And, and so Jesus says in Matthew six thirty. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow's thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Okay, do you see what Jesus just did there? She said, are you scared? Are you afraid? Are you worried? Are, are, you, are, you, are you full of anxiety? Okay, he said, hold on. You need to plug who God is and what God thinks of you into that equation. And then if you're afraid, it's because you're of little faith. Right? Go over just a chapter or two. Matthew chapter 8, there's a big storm on a lake. The disciples are out in the middle of the storm. Verse 25 says, And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Again, over and over again, what we find in the New Testament is that Jesus links together 
our fear of something, and what we think of Him. Our faith in God, our faith in Him. Now, I am in not, and not at all, not at all saying that fear is always a bad thing. In fact, God, God made, made that fear mechanism in you, okay? If that's not in you at all, that's probably a bad deal. You've probably had a lot of accidents in life, all right? Because God put that in us for a good reason. If, if you go to the edge of a cliff and there's a 3,000-foot drop, you ought to, okay, if you're a sane person anyway, you ought to begin to feel a little queasy in your tummy, maybe a little vertigo, and, and there, uh, there ought to be just something in your body that begins to slow you down, right? And, and make you cautious, okay? If, if I'm walking out in this pasture up behind the church in the summertime, and I'm walking through, and I hear a rattle, and I look down, and there's a coiled rattlesnake right there, man, I'm telling you, I guarantee you, fear is going to shoot through me. It's going to stop me, first of all, right? It's going to stop my leg in midair and bring it back down quickly, and I'm going to get away. There's going to be a, a backing up. So it, it, it's, it's not a bad thing. Fear is not a bad thing, but when fear becomes sinful, when fear becomes not God's plan for us, is when it gets outside of the boundaries, the fences that God has designed, when it begins to control our lives, and when it is not factoring in who God is and what God has done. That's really the big problem, is that whatever level your fear is at, you ought also be factoring in who God is, what He's done, and how He feels about you. Let me give you a great example of that. If we go into Mark chapter 4, what we find is that same parable of the storm. Let me just read that to you, and then we're going to make some application, okay? So Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Now, is it wrong to be afraid of being on a boat in a large body of water when there's a great windstorm and the waves are coming over your boat and your boat's beginning to sink? Is that wrong absolutely not i don't want to drown i mean i I don't i don't know about you i don't want to drown i I don't want to die that way and so there's nothing wrong with them having this level of of fear about the circumstances now what is the problem well what is the problem is in their equation okay as as they're as they're deciding whether or not they'll be fearful as they're responding in fear or not what did not they factor into that equation who was in the boat right Who's in the boat? Well, it's the Son of God. It's the Almighty King. It's the the Creator of the heavens and the earth is in the boat with them, okay? So what should have been the equation there, okay? You're this afraid of storms and bodies of water, but what's also true, Jesus is in the boat. He called you into the boat. You're in His will, right? And so, so how they felt about Jesus and His power should have eclipsed their fear of storms and caused them to be at rest. Notice verse 41. It's the verse we didn't read in this passage. Here's the response. After Jesus speaks to the wind and the sea, verse 41 says, And they were filled with great fear. Stop. Fear of what? Wind? Waves? Water? Storm? No. No. They were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? Do you see what happens? When, when, when they saw the glory of Jesus, they are filled with fear, but not fear of drowning, not fear of their boat capsizing. Man, it's fear of, look at who we've got in our boat. And all of a sudden, it's, it's not the storm, 
It's, it's Jesus that is the big factor in the equation, okay? I believe that is what Isaiah chapter 41 is showing us. That's what Isaiah 41 is doing here. It's saying you have to factor into your equation God. You have to factor into your equation who he is and what he's done and how he feels about us. That, that must be a factor in your fear equation, all right? And, and again, we all have those equations in our life. Many of you have been to a uh, big building, uh, like a skyscraper, right? And uh, probably most of us in here have some sort of fear of heights. There are people that don't, and I worry about them. I think there's something wrong. Like, they, they don't have a little chip. I was watching a YouTube video the other day, and there's these guys, and they're, like, hanging out on the skyscraper, like, like hanging on it, one hand, you know, doing handstands. I'm like, no, 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 no. That, that, you're crazy, you know? Uh, you deserve to die a little bit. So, um, <laughs> Most of us are not that way. We have a, like a healthy respect of heights, right? But I bet you if, if we were in a high skyscraper, the majority of you would probably not, not be afraid to walk over to the window, right? Some of those have those kind of bent, you know, uh, curved windows, and you can actually look down and see the street. Probably most of you would not be afraid to do that. And you know why? Because here's what you factored in. The people that built this building knew what they were doing. And then there's a building code in this city, and the contractors have built the windows in such a way that they'll, they'll hold up. You know, and so you wouldn't be afraid to go lean on them a little bit. You know, some of you are still saying no, I think. That's okay, all right? But what I'm saying is everybody has that kind of, you're measuring that. You're factoring in that, right, into your equation. Uh, we're getting ready to get on a plane here tomorrow, early tomorrow morning. Uh, people are flying all over, except in the East Coast. They're not flying there. But everywhere else, you know, in the country, around the world, they're flying. They're up in the air right now. What caused them to get on a plane when the thing's going to go 30,000 feet in the air? It's because they factored in. Well, I have enough confidence in the airline industry and in the plane and the pilot and the, you know, all that, that I'm, I'm willing to get on the plane and be at some degree at peace with everything, with flying, right? I mean, that, that they factored that in. So everybody already has an equation. What Isaiah 41 says is the big factor in the equation is not the building code. It's not the buildings. It's not the materials of the skyscraper. It's not the the airline pilot or the plane. The big factor in the equation has got to be God. It's got to be God. That's that's the difference between a believer and a non-believer is that in this fear equation, we're factoring in who God is, what he has done, what he's promised to do, and what he will do in our lives. And so believing the power and control of Jesus governs. It, It puts fences around a Christian's fear, and it gives us courage. Now, here's what I believe, folks. I believe that you are gonna need courage to live the Christian life. Now, a couple reasons I believe that, okay? Number one is that when I look through my Bible, everywhere I see God asking people to do things that are scary, okay? Asking people to do things that involve courage. I mean, that is a consistent, you know, motif in the Bible. So you've got God calling Moses to go back to Egypt, the place where he's a fugitive, okay? That's a scary thing. You've got God calling Jonah to go to a wicked people, violent people who are enemies of Israel in Nineveh. You've got God calling Ananias. Hey, Ananias, there's a guy named Saul who's been killing Christians. You're a Christian. I want you to go to that house, and I want you to take care of him. All right? Remember what Ananias says? This guy's a bad guy. God, he kills people. He kills Christians. God called Abraham to leave his family, his country, his business, his way of life, everything he's known to go to a place that he doesn't know. He's never been. And God just said, you just trust me, Abraham. I mean, that's a scary thing to pack up, leave everything, never to return again to a place that you don't know where you're going. That's a scary thing. I've been dealing with all kinds of uh, 
marital problems. My, if, if you're a praying person, please begin to pray. The last two months, I, it's just been horrible. I, I, I've told you this before in my 19 years. It seems like there's just waves of this that come in. And, and, and I'm not a Dr. Phil. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a psychiatrist. And inevitably, here's what I end up asking people to do. I ask people to do a scary, hard thing of do exactly what Jesus wants you to do. I mean, that, that's, that's my counseling. Have them boiled down in a nutshell. It's this, all right. God asks us to do radical things, things that make us vulnerable, things that are risky, things that, that cause you not to be able to protect yourself, you know, to love unconditionally and sacrificially and to forget. You know, God's going to ask you to do that stuff, and he always has. Remember Hosea? There's, there's a great marriage story in the Bible, right? God, God commands this guy to go and marry his prostituting, adulterous wife and buy her back out of the slave market. Okay, that's a, that's a scary thing. That takes courage to do that. Jesus called on Peter to get out of the boat and walk on water. He called on the Israelites to depend on him to supply bread from heaven each morning. Man, can you, can you imagine how scary that would be? We've hit an economic downturn in our society, haven't we? There's a lot of people that you know that have lost their jobs. A lot of people you know that used to be getting this many hours and now they're getting this many hours and they're not able to pay their bills. Our benevolence is shot through the, the roof and people coming to the church just in need, in genuine need. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be an Israelite who for 40 years in the, in the wilderness, they did not know where tomorrow's meal came from. Like they didn't have it. Like, like, like right now, probably even, even the poorest of us, right now we've got enough for tomorrow. Like you, you could go to the cupboard, you could go to the fridge, you could go, and there's enough food to, to your family to survive tomorrow, you know? You may be in the PBJ, you may be in the ramen noodles, maybe in the Vienna sausages, maybe the spam, you know, it's been there forever, you know? You, you may be in stuff you don't like, but there's enough, right? I mean, you know, hey, we're not going to die tomorrow. We're not going to starve tomorrow. It's not that way everywhere in the country. Brother Solomon's been to places where that was not the case, but for most of us, it is the case. Can you imagine the Israelites, God wires the thing. He said, Sets it up so they never have enough for tomorrow. When does the manna come? Every morning, right? What if you try to store it up and save it? You know, put it in, it rots, right? I mean, God, God or, orchestrates the thing where they have to depend on him every day for their provision. That's a scary thing. God calls Esther. Risk your life in coming before the king uninvited. He calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to brave the fiery furnace rather than bow to the idol. Folks, it's everywhere in the scriptures. God's going to command you to do things that demand courage. It's everywhere. So when we're afraid, and what kind of things are we afraid of? Well, let me, let me, I'll just tell you, I didn't think this out. That's, that's a bad thing when you tell people that, right? I, here's the first thing that, popped into my app. This is a little application section. I have those in my sermons. The first thing that popped in, I, I wrote this. When we're afraid of appearing foolish or stupid or boring or unappealing or weak before others, we need courage to care more about what God says about us than what others do. Why was that my first thought? Probably that's because that's one of the things that I've experienced most in the Christian life is you, you come to a crisis where you can either stand up for Jesus and people may think differently of you, or, or you can be quiet. Okay? That, that's a very common thing in America. But you know, isn't it interesting that that would be one of the biggest fears in the American church? Maybe if you went to the Indonesian church, or the African church, or the, the church in North Africa, in a Muslim country, in the Middle East, 
I don't wonder if that wouldn't not be the greatest fear. I wonder if the greatest fear would be I'm risking my life. Then my family would be taken away. Then my, my house would be taken away. My job would be taken away. But friends, we are in the, in the great privileged position where probably our, our courage starts right here. It starts with, are we afraid to appear foolish or stupid or boring or unappealing or weak before others? And we need courage to care more about what God says than what others say. Now, I think it goes on from there, right? We need courage to give of our time and our money to the Lord's work, trusting that God will provide. I mean, that, that, that's courage, isn't it? I mean, I mean, there's times where you got to step out. You got to, man, it's, we can really use this, or, but I'm going to give. Relationships demand courage. Investment, right? We've all got our schedules. We like, we like things to be nice and, and, and comfy, and, and we don't like people bothering us. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a risky thing to step out and begin to minister to people that are going to mess up your life, right? You like to have the kids in bed by 8.30 and be watching your show by 8.45. What happens when you start ministering to people? They show up at 8.45, right? And they got needs. They don't show up with cake. They show up with problems, right? We need, we need courage. We need courage to speak truth and not be fearful that people will reject us like they rejected Jesus. But they probably will. We need courage. So what does God do to help us be courageous? Well, I'm going to start with the second thing, and I'm going to go back to the first thing. In verse 14, what does God do? He calls us a worm. All right, does that make sense? Come on, be honest. Does that make sense that, verse 14, you, you read it? Fear not, you worm, Jacob. Jacob is a name for Israel, for God's people. Fear not, you worm. Now, I don't think that's what we would have done. I know that's not what we've done because that, that's not how we encourage people, is it? What, what do we do when we want to give people courage to do something hard or not to be afraid? What do we do? We, we tell them, man, you're a tiger, right? I mean, that's what we would have expected there. Not a worm, right? You're a tiger. You're, you're a lot. You're a bear. You're a bull. You're a dragon, man. You are tough. You can do this, right? How many of you gals were cheerleaders? Raise your anybody in here a cheerleader? Back in high school, okay? All right? You know, you know what cheerleaders do? I mean, sometimes it's kind of a silly job. I was at wrestling the other day, and this kid's getting killed, you know? And it's clear from the first second in the match, man, he, he's not going to win, you know? I mean, this, he's on his back. He's struggling for his life. He can't breathe. He's getting choked out. And there are the cheerleaders over there on the mat. They're saying stuff like, you can do it. Yes, you can. You can do you know? It's a good sentiment. But he can't, right? I mean, it's clear. It's nice of you to say that. But he's, he's not. He's not going to be able to do it. So, why doesn't God, why didn't God tell us, man, you're great. You, you can do this. You're really strong. You're really, I mean, that's, what, that's what we do. That's what we do with our kids. You can do this. You Man, you're, you're, you're good at this. You're one of the best ones. Blah, 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 right? But what does God say? Fear not, fear not, fear not. I love you. I'm going to hold your hand. Fear not, fear not. I'm your God. I chose you. Fear not, fear not. You're a worm. That's the way it goes. What? Here's why. You're not a lion. You're not a tiger. You're not a dragon. You're not a bull. 
You, you are one car wreck, one economic downturn, one medical diagnosis, one family tragedy away from everything falling apart. That's just true. Are we invincible? No. Do we have strength to do it all? No. I mean, I'm sorry to go against popular culture, you know, the whole, you can do it all, you can do anything. You can be whatever you want. That's not true. I'm not going to be a rocket scientist. You don't want to be in the rocket that I design, all right? I just, I can't. I, I, you, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that, that's just not, I know that's our culture. That, oh, you can do anything, you can do it. But it's, it's not true. And, and so you should not trust in yourself. That's what he's saying. You realize you are fragile, you're frail. What did Jesus say in John 15? I'm the vine, you're the branches. Unless you abide in me, you can't do anything. You can't do anything. You're not self-sufficient. You're not, you don't have it all under control. It's a, that's an illusion. You're, you're a worm. Worms are helpless. Worms don't beat anybody. How you been mowing your lawn and a worm took you down, you know, wrapped around your ankle, bam. It didn't happen. Because the picture he's creating here is of a people who are in desperate need for God. What is Paul saying? Are you following me here? Are you, are you seeing what he's doing here? He doesn't want you to depend on yourself. That's why you shouldn't be afraid, okay? You shouldn't just coax yourself and say, I can do this, I can do it, I can do it, I can do it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's got this thorn in the flesh. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. How? How is power revved up and made perfect when people are weak? Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the... For the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What is is Paul saying there? Paul is saying, I I had to learn that I could not depend on myself. I could not depend on my own strength. I could not depend on my own abilities. But what I found out, Paul says, is that when I began to depend solely on the Lord, I was stronger, braver, more courageous than I was before. That's what Isaiah 41 is saying. Don't depend on you. Don't put your hope in you. A lot of people, they, they, they go through life just on their own natural kind of boldness. Hey, that, that's empty. What we need is the supernatural boldness of God. Someone who says, I know I'm a worm, but I'm a worm who's got a big God. Now let me pair this together with Isaiah 40. We're going to hurry here. So last week, if you were here, What did we learn in Isaiah 40? We learned that God is big, right? We learned that God is big and that big things are small to God. And Isaiah 40 showed us that over and over and over again. Um, Verse 12 was the the example we used. Who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? What are the waters, the oceans of the world? There's a lot of water. That's a big thing. Fits in the the hollow of God's hand. How about the galaxy? You you spread out in in, 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 in light years of, of space that nobody can even get to the end of. But it says that God measures that with a span. 
It says that he takes the mountains of the earth, 29,000 above Mount Everest, puts them in the scale and measures them. It says that the nations are dropping a bucket, okay? All of Isaiah 40 is saying God is glorious. He is strong beyond measure, beyond, beyond imagination. God is big and powerful and glorious and strong. Okay, now Isaiah 41 is saying, is answering the question, but all, is all that for me? Because you see, just because something is strong and big and powerful and mighty and, and, and great is not comforting unless you know it's for you, right? What if I stand up here today and tell you the North Korean army is incredibly big? It, it, is, it is stronger than any army in the entire world. They've got nuclear capability that far surpasses anybody else in the whole world. Are you guys getting comforted when I tell you that? If I tell you how big that guy in North Korea is and his army and his power, it doesn't, it doesn't comfort you. Why doesn't that comfort you? Because that guy's not for us, is he? I mean, we're not sure about him, you know? You know he, we're not sure he's thinking about us at night. And if he is thinking about us at night, we're not sure it's good. So just because something's good, big, doesn't, doesn't necessarily relieve your fears. So Isaiah 40, God is, God is glorious. He is big. He is strong. He's powerful. Isaiah 41 is applying that to his people, okay? Quickly, verse eight, okay? Let's just walk through this. So, so how does God feel about us? But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, my servant, my chosen one. Now, you might be thinking, well, yeah, but he's talking about the nation of Israel. This is way back in 700 B.C. Okay, but I, I can take you to the New Testament and show you uh, almost identical passages referring to God's people. Here's one, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. You're if you're a believer here today, if, if you have turned from your sins, put your faith in Christ, you've seen his glory, the spirit of God lives in you, you're chosen. God, God sought you. He came after you. He, he's saying, all of my power I'm going to employ on your behalf. You say, but I've messed up and I'm, I'm not that great and I don't have it. You listen, God knew that. What did Ephesians 1 say? Before the foundation of the world, he chose you, Okay. A lot of people almost live like God went to the pet store thinking he was going to get a tiger and they handed him a box and it was a worm and so now he just feels obligated to keep it, okay? No, he knew you were a worm from the beginning. He knew you were, 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 were riddled with sin and broken and a failure and God has come after you. He's chosen you. Despite what you've done. Keep reading. Verse eight, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, when, when it says the offspring of Abraham, oh, what do you get? What do you? What should you be thinking? If you remember our God story, promises, right? All these promises of God that He has made to His people of what He's going to do for His people, and then He says, "Abraham, my friend." In John chapter fifteen, listen. To this. this is what Jesus says: "You are my friends if you do what I command. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I've called you friends for all that I've heard from my Father. I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you." All that power, and now all that power for those whom God has chosen, those who are his servant, those who are his friend. Keep reading. Verse 9. You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest corner, saying to you, you're my servant. I've chosen you and not cast you off. 
What's he saying? He's saying, man, I, I've gone to great lengths to redeem you. Man, when you read through the Bible and you see all the glorious things that God has done to redeem his people, it's amazing. God has, God has, 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 has worked for, for centuries, for millennia, to redeem for himself a people in Jesus Christ. Verse 10, fear not, for I am with you. Man, I, I wish I could make that settle into your soul. I'm afraid that it's just going to spin over you. You know, you're thinking about chicken, you're thinking about roast, you're thinking about something else. And you're not thinking that God just said, don't be afraid because I am with you. There's a lot of things I've done in my life that I did because somebody was with me. I would not have done them had I been alone. But just the presence of another person, a friend, caused me to be brave enough to do something. God says, I. Again, who's God? Holds the, the waters in the hollow of his hand, marks off the heavens with a span, and closes the dust of the earth in a measure, weighs the mountains in scales, the nations are dropping the bucket. That God, see, plug that into your equation. Okay, what, what, what's God calling you to do that you're afraid to do? What, what, what's he calling you to do that you, you're, you hesitate? You just don't know how to work out. You're, you're afraid to step out. Okay, plug that in your equation. That God, Isaiah 40, that God says, I will be with you. You're like, well, I'm not sure what that means. Does he just mean he's going to kind of be around, you know? He's going to video it, you know, to show it on YouTube, the the you know, the tragedy that's about to happen? No. Be not dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. There's a promise. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Look at verse 13. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. Man, I love that. I just picture a toddler struggling to walk. And this is the way God feels about you. I'm going to hold your hand. Fear not. I am the one who helps you. Are you a worm? Yes, you are. That's a real practical point. That's worth you hanging on to. I got up to preach before the 830 service, and as I was walking to the pulpit, I just was praying to myself. And I just said, God, I'm a worm. I got nothing. These people need to hear your word. They, they need you. They're facing tough things. And God, I'm a worm. I got nothing. But God, I, I trust you got something. You're powerful. You're mighty. You said you'd help me. And that ought to be your daily prayer. Now, now does, that, does that mean that because God is big, because he's sovereign, because nothing's too hard for him, and because he feels this way about his people, does that mean nothing bad's ever going to happen to us? We could ask Pastor Solomon back there, and he would tell us stories about believers who were impoverished and oppressed and persecuted and murdered. But let me ask you this question. Is God big enough to take care of even people in poverty and oppression and death? Is God big enough? I'm telling you, he is. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Listen, listen to what it says. Romans 8 to 18 says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. What's, what's Paul say there in Romans? Paul says, man, God has taken our sufferings and he is weaving this into this mound, this mass of glory that when you look at it, you can't even see the sufferings. It's not, you can't compare them. It's, it's too big. 
What about poverty? Well, how about that church in Smyrna in Revelation 2.9? They said they were poor. Jesus says, no, you're rich. What about death? Well, didn't we read in John chapter 15? Or I'm sorry, John chapter 11, when Jesus is standing at the, the grave of, of uh, Lazarus, what, what's he say to this grieving sisters? He says, I'm the resurrection and life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, okay, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do, do you see what the scripture's telling us? Say, man, this God, this God of Isaiah 40, when he is for you, who can be against you? He can turn it all for glory. And so you should not be afraid. You should not be afraid. What are you afraid of? Right now, what's the thing in your life that you're like, man, I, I, I don't, what if that happens? Man, what's the thing that's crippling you? What's the, what's the thing that God's called you to? And, and you're, you're just, it's just too scary. It's it's too frightening, and so you've not moved. You've not stepped out. You're making every excuse in the world because you're scared. Would you embrace today two things? Number one, Isaiah 40 is who God is. He's that big. And number two, Isaiah 41, he feels that way about you. You're his chosen, his friend, his servant. He holds your hand. He's with you. He'll help you. He loves you. Let's be bold. Father, I pray that you would stir up our hearts in courage. I pray, Father, that we would be bold in our obedience, bold in our, our mission. God, bold in our following and seeking and pursuing you. God, help us to, to have great faith, even in the midst of the storm. Father, we pray that you'd stir us up in that way. In Jesus' name, amen.